Welcome to the second season of the Make the Future podcast. I'm your host, Jacques Beauvais, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Ottawa. Join us as we have conversations with different thought leaders about current issues facing the engineering industry. Let's explore the future of technology and innovation and how, through creativity and collaboration, we can make the future. They say the future is coming, but that's not true. The future is already here. And it's relentless. It's not going to wait for you to catch up. How will we live in this future? How will we make sense of it? To define our course, we need a new perspective. One that engages our curiosity, that activates our imagination, one that defies the conventional. To own the future, we need to do more than just see it. We need to make it. As for many faculties of engineering across the country, equity, diversity, and inclusivity are really important to us. We, we feel that, that it's important within our faculty in the way we train young people, but it's also extremely important we're concerned about when they go and hit the job market afterwards. What's going on in industry, in organizations, these, this, these are really important issues and, and they're starting to almost reaching a critical point right now where we need to be very active to find solutions to help out on that. And uh, in Make the Future podcast is intended to be looking at uh, where we're going down the road the next few years, um, what are the lessons learned by uh, our alumni and friends out in industry, so we've been talking with some of our students and some very recent graduates about what their perspectives are on what's going to happen in the tech industry and what their what their hopes are and their aspirations. So we thought it would be really interesting to have a conversation with Tusha Agampodi, who's the engineering manager at Magnet Forensics, to join me for some conversation with some really insightful and interesting people. So Tusha is here with me now. Hi, Tusha. Hi, Jacques. So, Tusha, you've been involved very recently. You organized uh, the, the, the event of uh, Better Together. Uh, mm -hmm. Why did you do that, and what did you get out of it? I've been attending a lot of women in tech events um, around Ottawa, and one of the things I noticed is that we were hearing from great women leaders, but often the, the audience was all women, um, which is great. I think there are times when women need safe spaces to, you know, discuss their ideas and um, and feel, feel heard. However, um, I felt like, you know, we needed men um, in the conversation as well and all genders. So that was the thought behind the Better Together event where we invited leaders from all genders to come together and talk about gender equality. Um, and, you know, we focused a lot on, you know, creating inclusive work environments because one of the things I do, I, I've been doing some high school visits to talk to students about um, getting into STEM and especially young women. But it was important to me that by the time they got to the workforce, that we had created environments where they felt included. So that was the reason behind the Better Together event. Um, and we had a great conversation there and we had a lot of leaders from Ottawa. When you go into the high schools, what kind of reception do you get when you're talking about these issues? Do they 
do they already feel them or are, are are you meeting young people who are concerned or do they do you get the impression that they're that they're not reached a point where they're concerned about these issues i think it depends on what grade um uh, some of the visits i had were grade nine and you can already tell um one of the first surprises to me when i walked into this these high school classes was the fact that the rooms were 50 50 you oh, know okay. uh, when yeah. it comes to gender diversity i'm just i'm not used to seeing walking into a room and seeing like half the room be women um but when we talked about engineering um you could kind of see uh their eyes light up when we talk about the impact we can have with, you know, engineering. Um, and I talk about the impact I have with my job. And I think perhaps they don't have awareness into into the type of impact you could have with these in these fields. Um, because I can tell from the questions I get from them after, um, you know, that they didn't realize you could have an impact on society, you know, it, in these fields and they also do ask questions about what the day-to-day -day work is like um you know are you sitting in a cube all day writing software i think um i get questions from the the girls in classes about um you know how much collaboration there is and and teamwork and such so i, I definitely think um getting more role models out there to high schools makes a big difference and in, in just increasing awareness of a the impact you could have and and also um the type of different types of positions that that are available and you can give them some good examples because um from discussions we've had before i know that at magnet forensics in the ottawa office you've been able to to at least progress the balance of gender diversity in your group right Yes, I'm, I've been working very hard uh, to do that. I think um, it takes a lot of effort and, you know, that work's never really done. You have to constantly keep at it in terms of, um, you know, if I hire women, then just make making sure they, they continue to feel heard and, and included. And, um, and I do think having a female leader has gone a long way. Mm -hmm. um, it makes a difference in, in attracting more um women into the team as well yeah and and you're right because that's one of the concerns i have in the faculty of engineering here at, at u ottawa too it's that it's not just attracting them it's, we have to work hard to make sure that we provide an environment that is welcoming and respectful and gives them a voice so that they can they they can they can feel that they can have an impact and uh, and and really prepare them for later on in in the workplace if you tackle one element of it that you kind of actually get the rest of it. If you start building an inclusive environment for like one group that you actually start thinking about building an inclusive environment for everyone. So I think um, I'm actually hoping that that will happen. And I, I've seen that happen with my team anyway. Right. But the, the tech industry in some ways, because it's a bunch of scientists and engineers working on technology there's for many years there's been the appearance that from their perspective that technology is gender neutral you know and it's never been the case the the exponential growth in the number of applications where we're using ai tools 
has raised a lot of concerns in a very public way. And I think it's raised the awareness that those biases are really important. They're making a difference, uh, a negative difference in a lot of people's lives. I'm a little concerned. I know there's a lot of talk of using AI um, when it comes to hiring because there's a lot of bias already mm-hmm. um, in terms of resumes and, you know, the interview process. And then there's talk of using AI for to alleviate some of it. However, I'm glad to hear that these conversations are happening about the bias that exists in AI because I'm I'm a little nervous that we are going to replace the bias that we have in the manual process with AI that would also have a bias. Yeah, and up to a certain point, because we're training the AI, we're actually um, codifying, solidifying, even entrenching the biases that we have, because once we've trained the system uh, using literally our biases, then and it's even more difficult to extract it out of there. So it might be really interesting to talk with Perinaz Sobani. She's one of our uh, PhD graduates in engineering uh, from 2017. And right now she's the director of machine learning and the impact team at Georgian Partners in Toronto. So she's both working on the AI front and she's also working on the investments front in the VC field that could probably give us an interesting perspective about AI today and the biases that we find in in that type of tool development, that type of industry, and those fast-growing startups. Welcome, Penny Nance. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So maybe just start a little bit of uh, a background question, uh, Penny Nance. Uh, I, we see that on, on Twitter, you did mention that one of the reasons you decided to join the industry was because you really wanted to make a real impact rather than chasing citation. And I'm curious to see how your experience has turned out over the last uh, few years. I've been working on real-world problems, problems that are important for our society, for the business and for the tech industry of Canada. And actually, I feel I'm useful. Why? Because... Especially because I'm working with startup companies and working for startup or with startup companies is very different compared to working for big corporations. Big corporations like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, they all have like a giant machine learning and AI team. So you might not feel as visible or impactful because there are so many smart people working in these companies. A couple of years ago, when you were talking about bias, we were like, why are working on like mathematical solutions, optimizations, techniques, where this bias is coming from? And you know that the main ingredient of any machine learning or AI system is data. Where this data is coming from? This data is normally coming from humans human behavior, human historical data, or you actually and explicitly ask humans to annotate or label your data. So, and we know as humans, we all have our biases. And of course, when the ingredients of your systems are biased, the system, even if we are using mathematical optimization, the system ends up to inherit all our biases and, uh, and problems. So the problem is in our ingredients. And it's not an easy problem. Building a first system, it's not an easy problem. Why? Because even identifying all these sorts of bias are not easy. Even like if you look at human behaviors, it's so hard to attribute the behavior 
so like a potential bias or so many other uh, things out there. So when we are building a system, a first system, first of all, we have to identify what kind of biases we can have. I can give you a couple of examples of possible biases. For example, sometimes the bias is coming from lack of having enough data of particular micro segments of the population. For example, you you are building the herd search system, but you might not have enough data, historical data, of people of color. That's one of the problems. So historically, we haven't collected enough data from people of color for any reason. So then we build this system, and this system is going to make more mistakes for these micro segments of the, uh, the population. Why? Because this system is kind of blind to what these micro segments of the population. So even as developers, we didn't make anything wrong, but we don't have access to enough data. And we didn't think about it because there might be some potential solutions. We, we can actually go look for such data out there, but we were completely unconscious about have, not having the representative data set. That's one possible source of bias. The other source of bias is bias in representation. For example, we are building a hiring system, a hiring software system. When we are building a hiring system, what really matters is the qualification of the candidate. So the demographic information shouldn't really matter. It shouldn't really matter where are you coming from, what's your gender, what's your ethnicity, what's your religion. And so basically we shouldn't use any of such information when you are representing a candidate. So you might say, easy, easy. So I'm going to remove all the information about your gender, about your ethnicity, like any direct information. I'm not going to use those information. But it is much more complex. Why? Because there are so many other attributes that have encoded our demographic information indirectly. I can take, give you an example. I'm going to ask you what what which social media are you using? And you might think, okay, it doesn't reveal any information about my gender or my ethnicity. But I can tell you that if your answer is I'm the Pinterest user, then with 90-80% likelihood, you are a white woman. Hmm. So it's not as easy as saying, okay, I'm going to remove all this direct, like directly representing demographic information about myself. Or, so there is as I told you, this, this is another source of bias, bias in representation. So you can imagine, there are so many different types of bias in the data. And then actually identifying if the system is biased or not is, I call it a bug. It's like a bug. It's like a bug in any software system. And it's more similar to the security or privacy bug. And you can imagine identifying and detecting Security and privacy bugs are the, one of the most difficult problem, uh, kind of bugs that we can have in software systems. So it really needs its own specific quality assurance. It needs to have, we need to have standard practices. And because these technologies are pretty new, we are, we don't have such kind of practices yet. And most of the time, because we don't have, speaking of diversity, because we don't have diverse working on these problems most of the time people even don't think about them yeah 
but I have two questions that, that come out of what you said. And, you know, one, it is, one of them is you mentioned that the, 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 the development teams, they were not necessarily that diverse. So, so what I want to ask is, it's been in the news a lot in relation to AI, but does, does the notion of bias and lack of diversity potentially in the teams, is that really a new problem or is, does the AI technology, has it brought a very bright light to shine on the issue or, has, or is it really a new problem? As humans, we were all, we know, like all the existing processes that are actually run by humans, they are also white. So if I'm uh, actually applying for a mortgage or for a loan and I'm going to talk to an officer, there is a possibility that this officer is uh, racist or sexist and I'm on, I might not get that loan, right? Because not because of my qualifications or my application, but because the possibility that the officer is racist or, or sexist. But why it's even more important for AI? Imagine that uh, as an, like, if you're an officer and if you're a sexist or racist, how many people you're going to deal with on your daily basis? Maximum 10, 20 people, right? Imagine that one of our, one of the banks, they build an AI system and they put it in production and it is racist or sexist. Then how many people can be impacted by such system? It's going to be in the magnitude of thousands per day. Mm. So the magnitude of, and the impact of such racist or sexist systems are much is much higher and uh, and more significant compared to having an individual in our system that they are racist or sexist. That's why this couldn't like that's why we should have more. Uh, we should have a better governance. We should have a better quality assurance for such system because the magnitude and the yeah. impact of such systems are much much more higher yeah. so it's not just highlighting the problem there's actually, there's actually also a magnitude issue and since we're talking about diversity i think it's important to hear from someone who has number of years of experience in the in the industry that would be really interesting and i think one person that uh that we've been having a lot of conversation with recently at the university is julia elvich she's a tech business leader that's working with early stage companies. She's been an advisor, a mentor, an investor, and a board member, and she could probably bring to the, our discussion really uh, important insights. Um, Julia, just to give us a little bit of background in the discussion, I mean, you've been in Ottawa for a few years now. You've seen, you've seen it go through different phases, um, and you've seen Ottawa today is now recognized as one of the technology hubs in Canada. And you were also... At Chipworks, you were part of a company that actually interacted with a lot of the other companies. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you've seen the Ottawa Canada North evolved over the years and, and, and how, how has it evolved also in terms of the people in the companies and what you've seen evolving over those years? I, I actually um, graduated uh, electrical engineering and um, ended up in Toronto uh, to start with with a company called LSI Logic, um, involved in integrated circuit design, and uh, it was a, a great opportunity. Um, had a lot of fun. I just loved microchips, and and it was it was so new um, that we had uh, uh, we, we we had to actually teach um, the industry how to make chips. 
At some point, um, I got the opportunity to move to Ottawa um, and run the design center here, and that was such an exciting idea. Ottawa was the place to be. There was the Nortels, the Newbridges, the Tundras, the Mitels, all of them working with LSI Logic at that time and um, involved in, in, in building their own application-specific chips. Um, and so I was just ready to say yes. And um, exactly that week, I found out I was pregnant. And I didn't know what to do. I, I, I wasn't sure whether to bring it up or not, and I actually did. Um, and they, they said, great, we'll, we'll make it work. Um, and I, I commuted weekly uh, between Toronto and Ottawa for oh. the uh, first uh, few months, um, up until I was eight months uh, pregnant. And it was, it was a great experience because I, I sort of moved into Ottawa and realized how great a decision it was for me to be there. There was so much opportunity. Uh, there was so much growth. There was so much excitement. Um, in, and now this was a, an electronic semiconductor mm -hmm. uh, town. And, um, and it also was a town where I could actually have a life beyond work. Um, it was a town where I knew I could get home to my kids within 15 minutes. Um, mm -hmm not an hour and a half, um, and which was what I was living in in, in Toronto. So, um, and, and the, there was a lot of learning uh, across companies, movement across companies. We went through um, employment bulges where Nortel was offering huge bonuses for people mm. to come and, and, and work. Um, so, you know, we, we, we as Chipworks were trying to come up with ways to recruit and I remember we took a chip truck um, into the middle of Canada and, and, and handed out uh, chips that at the bottom of the paper said, uh, come work for us once they finished their chips. That's what it was okay. all wrapped in. That's very clever. But that was, that was how crazy it was. It was there was just not enough um, great talent to go around. Um, so Chipworks um, later on uh, became uh, a company that um, was fighting for that talent. Um, and you know we were one of the companies that were bringing a lot of talent in internationally, um, so uh, to uh, the area, and, and and you saw a lot of that people coming in from all parts of the world, and becoming um, you know really part of the economy here. Um, Ottawa's changed now; it's a little different. It's uh, it's uh, not as electronics. It's mm -hmm. not as capital intensive in terms of. Uh, the innovation that's happening here, but I love I love the startups. I love the schmies. I love seeing that growth happening, and it's there's a lot of excitement about you know the the next Shopify um, mm -hmm. and 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 the growth that we're seeing here in Ottawa today. Is it? Do you feel that the, the ecosystem, if I can call it that, or the types of companies you talked about, the big players yes. in the early days? My sense, because I left for thirty years and I've come back is that it's a lot more diversified today. That's the feeling, the impression I have, but I'm not sure about no, that. I totally agree. I mean, it was very dominated. I mean, I, I remember, I'm, I'm sorry, I was University of Waterloo grad, so... Um, <laughs> it's okay. Everybody, <laughs> everybody went to Nortel, and now it's not. I yeah. mean, you, you see um, there's so much choice, uh, so many small to medium companies that are um, doing really interesting things, and, and you... It's great from an employee standpoint to, to be able to, uh, you know, 
try out different companies as mm-hmm. well too. Um, there's still some of the big guys. I mean, yeah. we, we still have uh, our uh, Siena's, our Ericsson's. I think I've, I've noticed mm. that too. And I know like our headquarters is in Waterloo and they've noticed it there as well as the big companies like BlackBerry um, started downsizing. Then what ended up happening is that the, the environment around all the the leaders, the tech leaders who left these big companies started, you know, starting their own company. So there's a lot of startups around, and I'm noticing that in Ottawa as well as Nortel, mm-hmm. you know, closed down and then BlackBerry downsized in Ottawa as well. Um, you can definitely see that all those talented folks who were at those companies are going and starting new things, which is great for the tech hub here. Julia, to come back to this, is diversity a problem in technology companies in Canada today? Uh, from an international, uh, you know, employees, um, I, I see people from all over the world working in Canada in tech teams, um, and um, I, I don't see um, in the tech team level, you know, a white dominance right mm-hmm. now. Um, but, you know, that's still a problem. At, at the more senior management levels, okay, um, and 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 that needs to change. Um, I really think that um, the gender issue is um, very severe, uh, hasn't changed in decades, um, and um, really does uh, need the focus right now. Um, and there are just not enough women um, um, in uh, technology. Um, the stat of 27% um, uh, women to men um, or percentage of women in, in tech is too low. Um, and that's for STEM. That's not engineering. Engineering, it would be even lower than mm-hmm. that. I did electrical engineering um, many years ago. We don't need to get into details. <laughs> you know, it, I was six women out of a graduating class of 110. You know, electrical engineering itself really hasn't changed that much. Maybe it's 10 women out of 110. Well, maybe it's 15. It's still not good enough. Um, it, there's certainly um, changes happening, um, I think, uh, but they're not happening fast enough. And, and the problem is, is getting them into engineering even. Uh, it's not about getting them to graduate. I think the biggest one is getting them into it. Um, I've, I've certainly um, tried to, 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 to get girls, as in high school and, and previous, interested um, in um, the robotics, the, um, you know, the semiconductor chips, um, nanotechnology, AI. That's um, some of the work that's being done here at U of O, um, it's at Carleton, um, throughout, you, you see a number of different programs. There's there's a lot of different programs, Technovation, Virtual Ventures, um, the summer programs here uh, I was involved in as well. They're all great, um, and they're all making a difference. Um, but, you know, at some point I want to talk about my uh, time with uh, eight girls here uh, mm-hmm. this summer, because I... I asked them a question, and I was very surprised by their answer. Why there weren't more women in engineering? Mm-hmm. Um, this was a, a special class for software engineering. Um, there was eight girls, grade nine to grade eleven, and I, the quietest girl, jumped up right away and um, and said, "Because people think they're incapable." Word for mm-hmm. word. Um, the second, a um, little bit older, said. 
uh, because men don't want to hire them. And then the third, uh, probably grade 11, said because they're worried they're going to get pregnant and, and, and not stay at the job. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, you, you girls are way too young to have these impressions, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, um, and I was, I, was, I was horrified, actually. I was heartbroken and horrified at the same time mm-hmm. because I really thought that well, that's what we knew 20 years ago. I would have expected that answer from grade 9 to grade 11 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why now? I mean, I, I'm really surprised with now. Um, now, I, I did ask earlier how many of them were there voluntarily, and I think only three out of the eight were there voluntarily. Their parents had put them in this program. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, you know, they, they, they were, you know, kids don't do things and, um, if they don't want to at least try. Yeah. So um, they, they were somewhat interested. Uh, but it, was, it surprised me that they still had these impressions of the barriers because I would say the opposite. I'd say there's men there out there right now that really want to hire women, mm-hmm. but you know they can't find enough women to hire. Um, and it, it's, it's something uh, I think will help in the future. Um, but that's coming back around to your question. That's the big diversity issue, I think, in Canada right now with technology uh, companies um, is gender. I agree. Um, I think that's what got us started in this conversation to begin with. Um, when I collaborated with you, Ottawa, on the Better Together conference, um, which was really focusing on gender diversity. And I care about diversity as a whole, but I do fully agree with Julia that getting more women into tech um, is a big issue. And I've been reading a lot about why and how do we tackle this. And I don't have answers, but I can talk a little bit about the things I've noticed. Um, definitely, you know, there's not enough women coming in. And I've been reading about some studies that asked women who go into engineering, um, when you ask students who go into engineering, why do you choose to go? And I think the answers you got from the men um, were just across the board, you know, all over. But the answers you got from the women were more specific in talking about someone in their life that was an influence whether it's an aunt or an uncle or a parent. And I can relate to that. You know, sure. I, I went to engineering because my dad worked at an engineering university. And a lot of the women I talk to have similar stories. So I think definitely, for one, examples make a huge difference, you know, which yep. is why we're yep. speaking to Purinas and Julia. I think the more examples we can get out, um, the better. And then, of course, once you get in, you know, how do we build an inclusive environment? Because like Julia said, um, even if you get diversity at the, the lowest level, the entrance level, as you go up in leadership, you see it's mostly male. You know, you see that the top 500 companies, you know, it's like 4% or 5% are women. So definitely when it comes to performance reviews, um, there's bias there. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation so far, and we're going to continue in an upcoming episode. And I really hope you'll be able to join us.